Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David and with me are the NCP crew, Richo. Hey. Luke. Greetings, culturalites. Manamana. 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 And Crystal. Yes, I am here too. Sorry, we finally got a chance to see the Muppets last night. I'm planning to do this entire podcast as the Swedish chef. Uh, no. <laughs> Gold. Nerd Culture Podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on nerd culture related film, book, and comic reviews with a healthy dose of opinion thrown in for good measure. Not no, only no, do no. we. <laughs> Stop it! Not only do we have the podcast, we also have our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com. Manamana. Which features additional content not found on the podcast itself. For this episode, we have a dust jacket on 1984 by George Orwell and a round table on this year's Academy Awards, the 84th edition of the Academy Awards. 84 and 84! I know! <laughs> See where I went there? <laughs> there are some spooky goings on here at Nerd Culture Podcast, listeners. I, know. I don't mean to alarm you, but Good. it could be there could be a correlation between two numbers. That makes no absolute sense. <laughs> and nobody cares. Do not adjust your iPod. It would have been awesome if it had been our 84th episode. Suddenly, Henry Silver walks in. <laughs> Am I doing this for a quick buck? <laughs> okay, so up first we have Richo with Dust Jacket. If you can get over there. And it's obviously not going to be the Muppets, is it? 1984. <laughs> So today we are looking at George Orwell's classic 1949 novel, 1984. That's confusing, isn't it? The interesting thing about this novel is that it has managed to transcend the stigma that is placed on a lot of science fiction novels. This is the one science fiction book that all literary circles and critics and so on all agree is an absolute classic novel. Uh, sometimes science fiction is seen as uh, a junk genre um but uh this book has and yet romance lives on <laughs> <laughs> yes mr mills and mr boone that's right rubbish <laughs> so the book was actually written in 1948 and is orwell's uh depiction of how he sees uh the future at that time and uh it's a very much a uh, dystopian almost fascist future uh, the people really live as slaves to Big Brother, who is always watching. And uh, we follow the story of Winston, who works for the Ministry of Truth. And his has rather an interesting job. His job is to look, take information from past newspapers and alter that information so that Big Brother looks good. So he he is given you know sections of newspapers and basically told to change them, um, so that he's effectively rewriting history, and all the old copies and things of those books are then completely uh, destroyed. All the newspapers are wiped out. So he is retroactively creating the history of his world by changing actual things that have happened into uh, whatever propaganda it is that Big Brother is looking for. Um, which I think brings up the first interesting point about 1984, which is uh, the world itself. Uh, we have Thought Police, 
constantly patrolling people. We have purges occurring all of the time, um, people being round up, taken away, never to be seen again. Um, we have children being effectively indoctrinated uh, at an early age in a group called the Spies, which is actually kind of a, a take on the Scout organisation. But what if the Scouts were purely about turning your children into you know, informants for Big Brother? Aren't they kind of a Hitler Youth sort of deal? As effectively, they're fulfilling that kind of role, yeah. But very much a, a, a dobbing your neighbour, dobbing your parents. There's actually a really interesting bit early in the book where uh, Winston is looking at his neighbours and his neighbours' children and talks about how his neighbour is most likely going to be taken away and purged soon because his children are getting to the age where they will actually be informing on him. Mm. Um, and they also, Parsons, I believe, is a bit scared of that too. He, they, he treats his kids um, not um, with a bit of a false sense of sincerity mm. because he knows at some point yeah. they're going to turn him, in, turn him in and he doesn't actually want that to happen. Yeah, as soon as he exactly. does something they don't like. Yeah. As um, Richo said, the real triumph of... Um, 984, and the reason why it's memorable is its world building, and part of that is to do with the the changing nature of the political shift. The great one of the great things about the world is Oceania, where Winston lives. Um, the the world has been divided into effectively three countries: Oceania, uh, Eurasia, and East Asia, if I remember correctly. That's right. Um, and Oceania is always at war with one, and always allied with the other. And in in the world in the world of um, the proles and of Winston, um, Oceania has always been um, at war with East Asia and always been allied with Eurasia. And when they swap, it suddenly becomes the major. Oceania has always been yeah. at war with Eurasia and yeah. always been allied with East Asia. Yeah, the um, the history is rewritten to reflect mm. uh, once mm. again big, whatever Big Brother wants at the time. But mm. but it's that perpetual war. Um, mm -hmm. Winston cannot remember a time mm. in his life when Oceana wasn't was at war. Um, well, that's basically, I mean, the, the, the people are, are, like you said, are like slaves and mm. they, all they make is war material mm. and, and uh, you know, agriculture as well, so people can eat well. Mm. But, but it's just basically, it's just war stuff. Mm. I mean, it's, they have a, a real, it's, it's a really cool thing where they just basically go through a list of all the things that are being produced and it's like X amount of tanks and... Yeah. You know, you know, yeah, they they, they exist purely to perpetuate the war. Yeah, and that's and that's basically based on the um, World War Two mm. productivity boom. Yeah. The, the World War Two yeah. sort of created is like all this stuff was made for the war, and then sort of went from there. But also, you could also say that because he's writing it in forty eight, and the war has been over for um, two years. Uh, he's also looking at it from the perspective of the shifting nature of the alliance with Russia. Yeah. Um, so suddenly, Russia is not the Russia who wasn't the enemy mm. is now becoming the enemy in terms of the Cold War, mm. and so Russia Russia was once the allies are now um, the ones who we're fighting against. So that's also partly it. The but the the good thing about the what's powerful about this is the effect that it has on all this the the lies that Big Brother perpetuates the shifting nature of the war. If there is a war, there is a slight hint um, when. Winston reads the book, at least I thought, that the war could actually be fictitious. Yeah, the war is created to the perpetuate war, the, war the, is, the lie is, that Big Brother is trying to use to subjugate the people. Subjugate the people, and, you know, because we never, and as readers, and Winston, we know, we never actually see any fighting. You know, we get 
bombs being all into yeah, the proletariat. Yep, but that could be Big Brother, you know, bombing bombing his own, his own people, bombing his own people. Wouldn't yeah, be. Given, I never given, got that at all. Given that's, that makes perfect that's, sense. But yeah, that's, given that's, that's, everything that's, else that Big Brother does yeah, to yeah, the people, that, that's actually not, that's pretty good. I didn't, that, I didn't catch that, on it. Well, that's that's the reading. I assume the war was there, real. It, it's not really it's not really implicitly stated, but there are certain suggestions mm. that that you could read mm. that the war well, actually doesn't exist. Mm. Well, that's exactly right. Mm. And that's re- really, that's part of this, one of the more interesting things of the book is that there are so many lies being perpetuated that it's almost impossible to work out what's real and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of the dilemma that Winston faces as a character yeah. as well. Um, and, uh, but, and that's a nice way of segueing into it. Um, it's the effect, what's, what's really powerful about the world that it creates is the effect that it has on us as humans. Um, you know, we've got the proletarians uh, or the proles, um, which are effectively an untouched class. The story follows Winston from here, from what I think is actually quite an interesting perspective. We don't, it starts off with Winston actually perpetrating in his mind an act of rebellion, which is doing something very simple and very mundane in our eyes, writing in a diary. Yeah, knowing or believing that the act of rebellion is going to get him killed. Mm. Like he, the minute he starts writing the diary in his mind, he knows that that's it. Mm. You know that the thought police will find him, mm. and he will be dead. But he he can't help himself. He's compelled to try and get all of these thoughts that have been building up in his mind to actually get them out onto the paper. Mm. Um, the plot then follows his daily routine as we go through um, the Ministry of Truth and looking at way he does his job and there's an interesting dichotomy in that he finds that some aspects of his job you know the sort of the more mundane I've just got to change a couple of names here or there you know I've just got to swell, slightly tweak Big Brother's speech so it says Eurasia instead of East Asia um, which he finds kind of boring but then there's the other side of it the ones where he has to completely reinvent the truth mm-hmm. that he gets really into and I think that's a very interesting idea because on one side he's beginning to hate and despise the world of Big Brother because it does keep him in it, keep everyone in a perpetual sense of nothingness. We just purely exist so that the state can keep running. And on the other hand, one of the things that he absolutely loves enjoy does enjoy is the massive lies that keep the state it's, running. It's the creativity. Yeah, the yeah, creativity. He's actually, he's actually strangely enough very good at his job. Mm. <laughs> and, yes. uh, and when he gets to be creative, mm. even though it's a lie and yeah. it's what he hates, mm. it's at least a chance for him to actually Use his brain. Yeah, and he gets he gets some. Use gets, his talent. Yeah, and that's it's it's an interesting. I've always thought it was an interesting. Um, and, and to express himself as yeah. well, I um, think is a, is a big part of that. Mm. He's actually getting the chance to actually express not just use this talent, but express himself personally into what he's writing. Mm. Mm. Um, the plot then follows um, his encounter with um, Julia, who at first he despises and actually fantasizes about abusing in quite a horrific way um, because he suspects her of being with the Thor police and he's, she's going to be one to turn him in but realises that no, she doesn't she isn't and she has made concerted effort to get into contact with him purely because she likes him mm. um, and so they meet they, they were nice to meet in um, some very clandestine ways so they can just express their loves and live or interact together as a couple without the suspicion of Big Brother and you know their close associates suspecting them and turning them in. Of course, then what happens is that um, they do actually eventually get turned in, and then we see the really horrific 
um, nature of the world of Big Brother and what can happen if you do rebel against the state. And, that, and, and the Ministry of Love. The Ministry, the of, ministry love. of Love. And yes. that's really the plot in a nutshell. Mm. Um, and that's if there, and that's um, if there is going to be a stated flaw against um, the book, it's that there, the plot isn't plot itself isn't particularly deep or complex. It's very, it's really that simple. What the complexity comes from Winston's um, desire to rebel against the state, plus, as we've stated a couple of times now, um, the world that Orwell builds. Why do you consider that a flaw, though? I, it, there's, nothing, uh, there's nothing wrong with simplicity, as long as it's... I'm not saying there's anything wrong with simplicity. I'm saying that if... And I'm, this is not... A, I'm not actually going out and saying, oh my God, the book is terrible because of this. I don't I think it's a remarkable book. Um, but I can see a potential argument against some of it. Um, one of those being that you know, m- many modern readers might find that because there's not, not much actually happens, the book could be bad. I don't think it's bad, and I don't think that, that because not much happens, it's a flawed book. It's not. It, um, but that's a potential argument against it. So I, d- I don't think it's actually a simple plot. I mean, the plot, the plot certainly carries it through to certain... Um, I guess story beats that that Orwell is trying to achieve, but it's really a plot that is necessary to cast light on what he really wants to cast mm. light on, which is the society that Winston lives in, and by reflection, um, the society that Orwell was living in, and the, and the one that he saw coming. One of the really ma- amazing things about this book is just how frighteningly accurate a lot of its depictions are mm. um there's a wonderful section uh early on where he's talking about uh, newspapers and entertainment and how you know newspapers have been um designed in 1984 to basically be full of nothing you know a bit a little bit of propaganda lots of sports stories you know that entertainment is dumbed down for the masses um and you know i look at newspapers today and that's exactly what I see. I look at entertainment today and that's exactly what I see. Um, you know, this sort of dumbed down approach. And unfortunately, one of the worst offenders of that is the TV show Big Brother, which has effectively subverted Orwell's message and Orwell's image of Big Brother and turned it into the complete opposite of what Orwell wanted it to be. Mm. Um, and so therefore, really, the modern Big Brother is perpetuating exactly... The things that Orwell was arguing against. Mm. So there, there are some. On the other hand, you have the London camera system, which is exactly what Orwell predicted. Exactly Mm. right. You also have um, perpetual war. Mm. I mean, we've been in a state of perpetual war now for eleven years. But we're not living Um, in a state where we're perpetually working to to sustain this war. Give it time. (laughs) I mean, that's true. But it's 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 not it's not we we haven't completely become the world of nineteen eighty four. But bit by bit, you just see more and more aspects of Orwell's world becoming a reality. I think, given the internet, it won't become a reality because people can communicate too freely. True, but then 90% of the internet is supposedly porn. That is so true. really... That is true. Yeah, that's but actually you, not true. That is, you, you had, I'd like to know who came up with that figure, had, actually. You had things like, during the Iraq war, you had the Baghdad blogger who was, who was mm. getting his information out where... As if the internet didn't exist, we would never have heard of it from this guy. So you're getting to hear stuff from the inside, what was actually going on. True, but um, then on the opposite side of that, you have Fox News. Yeah, well, as I was going to say, um, whereas, whereas you, you have Fox News and then you've got news coming straight from the source. Yeah. 
from yeah. real people. But I mean, you well, look at the number of people, let's take, say, America, for example, the number of people that believe that you know, Barack Obama is a Muslim and wasn't born in America, um, you know, the, the, the perpetuating of certain myths is still hugely prevalent. And whilst the internet offsets that to a certain extent, part of the internet requires people to actually go looking for this information. Well, you um, had the recent um, uh, Wall Street occupation and true. the media was presenting it in one way, whereas the people who were actually there were tweeting it and tweeting what was actually happening. Mm. So you're still, getting, you're still getting people who are allowed to say what they think. True. So it's not completely, For now. It's not completely but then, 1984. No, not yet. But then you have also things like the Patriot Act and laws that have been brought in both in America and in Australia and I'm sure in other countries around Homeland the world security. as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the, the national security argument in general. So whilst, yes, whilst... I mean, obviously we, we're not we exactly have, like 1984. No. But it's pretty scary how close we've become. Well, like, all, the, the, steps, the steps America, are being taken. The North American Union. Yes. Canada, Mexico and the USA all becoming one country, which in some yeah. instances and have just been theorised. Always, always got the Eurozone. Scottish independence. Yeah. Mm. There's um, yeah. I have to say, of the books that we've, you know, we've read for Dust Jacket, both here in the podcast and the ones we've reviewed online, this is the one that, to me, comes across as the most accurate depiction I've seen of what the future might be. Mm. Um, we're not there. That's doesn't have any flying cars. No, no. Well, that's right. <laughs> and look, we're, we're not there. Like, let's face facts. We are not quite at the state of 1984. Um, but there are a lot of signs that that point to Orwell's world becoming a reality, and little by little, those those things that independence and individuality seems to be chipped away. We do have means of fighting back, but really, are the masses doing that? I mean, we have the Occupy movement, but you know, the number of people who you know teed off on the Occupy movement. Um, oh, Frank Miller. <laughs> yeah. like, like if you speak to the masses, then they you know the they see the um, Occupy movement in the way that the Occupy movement is presented in you know right wing media. Mm. You know they're all get a job, slackers hippies. and hippies, and you know they've got no idea what they're doing. You know, and so yeah, you know, so so the mass media tries to. Um, basically subvert what the Occupy people are doing. Yeah. And, yeah, so it's... You, you've got... You've, you've, we've got, at the moment, we've got choices where we can read the mass media and make our own decisions, and we can also look at other alternative news sources, Twitter, blogs, etc. Hmm. I, I just yeah. can't see us fully becoming a big brother world. I don't think people would allow it to happen. I mean, yes, there are things happening that are big brother-ish, like the, the UK... What? CCTVs, yeah. but on the other hand, anybody who's been robbed or raped in England would be grateful for CCTV. True, but at what cost? Exactly. Well, you've got to weigh it up. Yeah. And at the moment, the but, uh, so, but there, there's also... a camera on every corner, though. So how long does it become with, until you actually get a camera in the homes? How long until that happens? Um, yeah. There's all also in the name I'm, of I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying that there are. Upsides and downsides. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of agree. I mean, I, mm. I don't think it will ever become exactly like 1984's future portrayal. I mean, it's well. I mean, it depends. It depends on. Uh, it depends, I suppose. Also, I mean, we've been talking about the internet and the freedom the internet provides, but then there are also laws being proposed in the US as yeah. we speak. No, that's shut down. Yeah, 
But it doesn't mean it's not going to pop but, up again. That's exactly true. right. Yeah. And it'll pop up in a different form with a different yeah. name and it'll be slapped onto another bill. And <laughs> so, so there are still efforts by, I guess, what you would call the state mm. to, to basically suppress any individual movement. So, I think yeah, there are always just, going to be efforts, but I just think it's too big for them to be able to suppress. They don't fully well, understand we can only the hope. capabilities <laughs> of it. Oh, I, to- I totally hope you're right. When they come kicking down the, even if when they brought... come kicking down the doors to arrest us for our nerd culture podcast, then I'll, I'll disagree. <laughs> but for now, yeah, you you are right. For now, we're not we are not entirely there. But as I said, it's of all the books that we've read, this is the one that has come closest to depicting, you know, reality as it is now, mm. from a writer writing. You know, obviously, back in the forties. So, and that's what I think is is most fascinating. One of the most fascinating things about this book. Um, whereas, you know, there's a certain with a lot of the other books that we we talk about, there's a certain disconnect. You know, because we don't have, you know, space stations and rockets and moon bases and a lot of the, you know because Where there is, is our a, moon base. Anyway, well, sorry, continue. One of the Republicans. <laughs> one of the Republican candidates is basically saying if he gets elected oh, yeah, to president, that. then uh, he's going to build us a moon base. So. Yeah, but they'll say anything to get elected. Yeah, very true. But um, yeah, um, so there's a certain disconnect. You know, sometimes it's just there are some interesting thematic ideas mm. or philosophical ideas that we can sort of hook onto and uh, promote. Whereas this one, it, it's it just seems so much closer to potential reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we should be fighting against it. Mm. The whole point of this of the novel is to basically say, "Look at this world. Two Don't let two it happen." Equals war. Yeah. <laughs> yes. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. <laughs> Ignorance <laughs> is strength. Exactly. And that's and, and that's really what we should be fighting against. And that's that's what Orwell is trying to tell us with mm. this book mm. is that this could be your world, and don't let it happen. Mm. That's very interesting food for thought. And now I'm scared. And uh, but I don't Big Brother is watching you. Dude. No, 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 it's not Big Brother's watching you. Big Brother loves you. <laughs> Touch your toes. But <laughs> you're still under forty. <laughs> Walden six six two nine. You're not doing it properly. That's it. I've had four children. That scene was hilarious. Right, um, yeah. So there's also so not only do we have the book, we also have the. Film adaptations. Mm. There's actually yeah two adaptations. One two, made in yeah one made in the 1950s. Yep. Mm. Um, Is it good? It's I actually from what I've heard I haven't actually had a chance to see it. It's not widely available. Mm. Um, but a lot from, of people have said it's really good. That's, yeah, that's the one. But that, also that... a little bit watered down. It's not quite as bleak and mm. as as harsh and as brutal as the as the book is. Or the 1984 version? Or the 1984 film version. Of course, by 1984, the year... We were getting to that. Yeah, Mm. and so you could, you know, you could actually... uh, But also, you know, censorship and everything in movies Mm. had, uh, ironically, had actually lessened (laughs) so that you could actually depict what's in the novel a little bit more Mm. um, accurately. Because obviously in the 1950s, there was a lot that you weren't allowed to show. And then, strangely enough, before that, <laughs> you could show anything you wanted. Yes, in the 1920s, you could get away with anything. Anything. Before the Hayes Code was introduced. There was far more nudity than mm. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. It was ridiculous. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so, yes, yeah, so in 94, the film that, uh, that I'm familiar with, because I haven't seen the 50s version, but so obviously uh, John Hurt and, and uh, filmed in the same period that the book takes place mm. yeah. in England, which yep. is brilliant. 
And uh, yeah, we watched it. Uh, I've seen it multiple times. We watched it again uh, recently. It's it, uh, it stands up. But... Well, what's interesting? I mean, it's made in the middle of Thatcherism yeah. in England, which was yep. really as close to a fascist state as you were going to get in England yeah, at the time. So wasn't, that, wasn't that the point? Yeah, exactly. Point. And, exactly. You know, that's, not that's, that's the it, irony not of it. All coming up, but you know. Big Brother, you know, it could just be called Big Thatcher or Big Maggie. Yeah. <laughs> Big, Maggie. Big Maggie is watching you. Big Maggie's house. I'm sure she, I'm sure Starring she had... Starring Gooding Jr. I'm right. sure she had something in the back of her mind saying, Big Maggie loves you. <laughs> um, of course I well, do. I mean, she just, just imagine that little dolly pull the cord. Big Maggie loves you. <laughs> and 1984 really set a standard for, you know, dystopic totalitarian mm. futures i mean it's, it's it's become the standard so much of um of the book has become part of you know popular culture referencing for those sort of things with big brother thought police even saying 1984 to people yeah invokes a certain image and so with something like brazil mm. you can see the comparisons because brazil is in many respects you know building on mm. That standard that 1984 is actually well, when set. they first introduced the Patriot Act, one of the politicians involved who was against it um, actually said, "Well, we've basically just introduced 1984." Yeah, and, it's like, it's, you know, and the minute he said that, every, you know, people knew what he was referring to. Yeah, I mean, there's there's, there's no denying this book's stamp on culture. And mm. Yeah, it's just it's just amazing. So, final thoughts and ratings. I think 1984 is actually one of the most important books ever written I'll go with that certainly one of the most important books of the 20th century I think everybody should read this book mm. as a warning of what the world could become um, but I also think it's a very compelling story in, in, its, in and of itself as well fascinating world interesting characters and it really deserves its place in the literary canon and I'm giving it five looks Luke um, it's actually quite remarkable because at, this isn't the first you know how will the future turn out book written at the time you had Aldous Huxley with Brave New World and H.G. Wells with um, Shape of Things to Come and yet it stands heads and shoulders above both of them A because yeah. the future it trend, it tells us is quite horrific but it doesn't just try to give us a general sweep but tries to you know picture how we might actually live um, and I think the triumph in that respect um, a little, some people might find it a little overwritten um particularly at the start where he's actually telling us a lot about the world. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, the, some people might find that the plot isn't as deep or as action-packed as they might like, but I think it's a remarkable novel. Um, it should not just be read and discussed, it should be studied. Um, and I give it 4.5 looks. Crystal? It's interesting that it is studied. It's one of the few science fiction mm. books that is studied at school. Yeah. But I hated this. I hated the book and I hated the movie. As in... Did you hate the subject matter, the characters? I mean, what was it that you hated about it? Um, or was it just you thought it was badly written? Look, or? I agree with the, both of you. I agree with exactly what both of you have said. But just purely from my taste, right. I, I hated it. I, if it had had some sort of spark of hope in it that the, the, there was some sort of rebellion coming, I, mm. I, I would have enjoyed it a little bit more. Mm. But I think I'm an optimist at heart. I'd like to mm. see... Hmm. Even well, though it's a bleak world, I like to see that there's some sort of ray of hope at the end that that, that, that goodness will prevail at the end. And there was nothing. So, so for the same reason I hated The Road, I just don't enjoy bleak stories. Right. So, yeah. I, and I'm, being, I'm serious when I ask this question. Um, have you seen or read Beef and Vendetta? Yes. 
Um, and did you prefer because V for Vendetta deals with almost the same thing, but it has that ray of hope at the end? Did you prefer V for Vendetta? I've seen and read both, mm. and yes, I did. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. 1984 is an unbelievably depressing book, and it can become an incredibly hard read at times because of that. And some some of the imagery it invokes is just mm. horrific. Mm. So yeah, I can understand where you're coming from. It's just not. I, I like to read, sit back, and enjoy, and I like to watch a movie and get involved and enjoy it. So it's it's kind of my pastime thing. It, it's so it, yeah, it's not not my cup of tea. Having said that, though, I still give it four looks because it's extremely well written and it has a very important message. That's awesome. That's very nicely said. Yeah. Um, I agree with all three. <laughs> I'm going to pick and choose everything that, every, that people said it should be studied it's unbelievably important not only to science fiction but to literature mm. its message is undeniable and scary in its accuracy and its possibilities that's what's actually most scary about it is just the possibility that it could come true um, it is ridiculously bleak um, I actually find it kind of boring in parts um, not because it has to be action packed actually I don't understand that argument at all. The story doesn't have to be action-packed for it to be entertaining, in my opinion. I just, but it's just, just, I mean, like you said, it just sort of goes on a bit and sort of over-analyzes. Yeah. And, and, and if there's uh, any problem with the first 100 pages, it's just that he goes into too much um, just, telling us about the world instead of, you know, having Winston um, yeah. show us. Experience. Yeah. yeah, there's an extreme amount of detail, and, and which is, you know, it's, it could be good. Mm. But for me, I mean, I personally the, just... The detail so is I actually think that's necessary at that point in those early stages to establish exactly what the world is like. But, I mean, I understand your argument. I just but it could have been said with fewer words. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I still understood what was going on. Mm. Um, but, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I mean I've, I mean, I've watched uh, plenty of, watched and read, sorry, uh, plenty of things that, you know, that are bleak. I mean, I actually quite like The Road. Um, but, uh, I mean, I do, I do agree that, I mean, you just, sometimes you just want a bit of escapism and you, mm. and you want to you be entertained and, and uh, you know, have some fun, and and uh, so I'm going to agree with Crystal. I mean, I, it's, I mean, it's 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 four out of five for me, um, purely because of just how important and just how brilliant it is. Mm. But I mean, it it does sort of lose a bit sometimes. I just don't find it very entertaining. I find that uh, I find it quite ironic. We're talking about the book not being entertaining. <laughs> When mindless entertainment is about made part of uh, what's presented in the book, I mean, just suppress the masses. I didn't phrase that very well, but uh, it's, I mean, it's it is it's it's important, and it's and it must it must be read by every single person on this planet. But we well, say you must read it, so you must do so. But I, but I never want to read it again. Big nerd culture podcast is watching you. So uh, yeah, so some very odd. Praise. <laughs> it's like very high praise with some some uh, odd little bits at the end. I don't know. Awesome. So thank you very much for that review, Richard. Come up next, round table. Well, that's the round table. We dance where we're able. We do routine to call a scene to put work in bed cable. We dine well here in Camelot. We eat ham and jam and spam a lot. So for this edition of Roundtable, we're going to be discussing the 84th Academy Awards. Uh, the NCP crew are going to give you our opinions on who we want to win and who we think will actually win. We've sat through all of the nominated best films, except for Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, which unfortunately isn't released here until next Thursday. 
So, uh, pretty odd. <laughs> I mean, it's not released yeah, until it's, after the recording. Yeah, the only Academy Award film that we won't be able to see because... Yeah. I mean, we could see it before the ceremony, but then we couldn't give you our opinion about it. So, yeah. And to be honest with you, I don't really care that much. <laughs> we had an incredibly boring. Yeah, it doesn't look very good, but that's all right. Uh, it seems to have been uh, quite badly received overseas yeah. as well. Um, yeah, I believe that, you know, for this week, this, um, this Oscar-winning, Oscar-nominated performance, uh, this Oscar-nominated film, sorry, the Washington Post did, it should be pointed out, the Washington Post did give it one star. Hmm. So there you have it, folks. Uh, we'll let you use the Washington Post's opinion of it, because we can't give you ours. But, uh, so, we're actually going to cover, we're not going to cover the entire Academy Awards, so please don't freak out, uh, it goes for like three and a half hours or something, it's ridiculous. So we're just going to cover uh, Best Actress, Best Actor, Best Film, and Best Director, so the four main ones. We were going to do supporting, but then I thought, jeez, it's going to take forever. And I don't want to watch Bridesmaids. <laughs> yeah, that means we have to watch Bridesmaids, and uh, Crystal not happy at all. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not to say there's not some good stuff to check out for the supporting actor and actress, but uh, we just don't have the time. So or the inclination. <laughs> yes, or the inclination. We don't have to see bridesmaids. <laughs> uh, it's okay. <laughs> Starting with best actress and who we want to win. So Richo, Luke, and myself have all nominated Viola Davis from The Help. Mm. Uh, she did an excellent, excellent performance mm. in what was a kind of average movie but the but okay but to to go on that point then it's a, a slightly average movie but made it dominated really by some really good performances oh yeah and i think viola davis stands out she manages to have that sense of vulnerability yet that also that same sense of inner strength as well so you don't there that you, you feel for her but you don't just feel that she's a victim that's she, right um yeah. then there's that nice moment at the end where she actually stands up to bryce dallas howard I know things about you. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, it just a, a really, a really, a, a, a soft, understated performance. And one of the things I like about it, it another thing that I like about it, is that it's also um, a little bit more um, original in terms mm. of the character. She actually has to create the character herself, as opposed to you know watching news footage or news feeds and you know doing almost an impersonation. Mm. Um, I think she does just a really. Just a really good job. She dominates in a film full of, as I said, full of wonderful performances, full of high-profile actresses, certainly with Bryce Dallas Howard, Emma Stone, um, even Jessica Chastain to a certain degree, and manages to hold her own and carry the film. Mm. Um, Abilene's a wonderful um, on-screen creation. Totally agree. I also like the the point that you make that she's an original character, um, other than uh, Crystal's pick, who was uh, Meryl Streep for Iron Lady. It's just a sentimental pick for me. She's one of my favourite actresses, so I just like her to win. That's all. She's brilliant, and her, her performance is quite astonishing. I mean, mm. there's uh, there are two types when you're when you're playing an actual uh, historical figure. Mm. There are two types of performances. There's a performance where you're basically just mimicking the person, mm. but then there's the second kind of the more powerful performance where really you become the person. And I think Meryl yeah, Streep becomes it. Margaret Thatcher in a wonderful performance big maggie big maggie is watching us um she becomes margaret thatcher in a wonderful performance but um yeah i just think uh yeah i just think viola davis is a bit more of a standout performance but but both great great actresses and great performances uh meryl strip is brilliant and i'll watch anything she's in and i think she's the greatest actress of our time there's no doubt about it i just but i just think that viola davis 
really gave it her all and, mm. and uh, yep. I, be- I believed in yeah. her. I mean, I, I believe that she was actually Abilene. Yeah. And I actually have a, like a strange little thing about acting that I'll, I'll throw out to you, but I just, I'm not really big on performances of real people. I, just, I, just, I actually prefer, I actually think acting is the ability to take a character who doesn't exist mm. other than on the page and in the mind of the writer mm. and bring them to life. Mm. So if I can believe that person is that person mm. who never existed before, so they've mm. got no reference, mm. that to me is real true acting and mm. I, I sort of find that more impressive. At, at the same time though, with when you're playing an historical figure, especially someone like Margaret Thatcher, who is an historical figure from you know from the media era, the mm. the, uh, the television era, there's an expectation of the audience by by the audience of who Margaret Thatcher is, yeah. how she acts, how she performs, mm. um, and so as an actress, it must be very difficult to then get in and actually be able to capture that in a way that well, is. Well, there's not a lot of scope. To get that right, is there? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, well, certainly well, to, yeah, I was, actually, yeah. I was going to continue and then say more important what you said before about how she's taken um, Margaret Thatcher as you know the the impression that you would assume that she would be like, and then make her more real and yeah, she's exactly do things right. that you wouldn't expect. Exactly. Kind of like also with Helen Mirren with she, the Queen. She's not a rubber um, puppet. Yeah, exactly. I mean, right. nobody. Let's face it. I mean, very few people are going to know what the Queen is really like yeah. behind behind like, scenes like and, and, doors. and I was. I was convinced. Mm. I was sort of like, okay, I, I yeah, see no reason why she can't do that. Um, yeah, she did. Uh, actually did a. Yeah, so, so I'm not saying. So don't get me wrong. I, I think Meryl Streep did a brilliant job, and uh, and you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm happy to watch people that portray real people. I just, to me, real, real acting is. Yeah, your preference yeah. leans. Uh, my preference is, is the creation of a fictional, character. Yeah, and I, I must breathe admit, life into fictional people. Yeah, I get your point. Mm. I, I should just point out though that the help is actually based on the book. Um, yeah. So the character of Abilene has been created before, but unlike a lot of the other actors on the list, Rooney Mara for Girl the Dragon Tattoo, Michelle Williams for um, Marilyn Monroe, uh, playing Marilyn Monroe, I should say, and as we mentioned, Meryl Streep, um, Viola Davis has nothing to draw from. Even Mo- Rooney Mara can can be said as being reacting against how um, the Swedish version of um, no, yeah, Naomi Rappaport portrayed the character in the Swedish versions of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, Whereas um, Violet Evans has nothing other, the, other than the book. Other than itself, the book. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's who we want to win. So Violet Davis, you can play our boat. Um, who do we think actually will win is uh, a bit of a flip of, uh, of that one. It's actually quite interesting. Uh, Richo, Luke and myself all think Meryl's going to win. So go Meryl. Um, and Crystal thinks that Viola Davis is going to win. <laughs> so what happened there, sweetie? Well, for all the reasons you just said, I think she's going to win. <laughs> and and Meryl Streep's just my sentimental favourite. <laughs> oh, I think there's awesome. there, there's one thing going in Viola Davis's uh, favour. She's an American actress playing an American character and in a, a very American story. Yeah, civil rights yeah. thing. Whereas, That's exactly what's tempting yeah, there. Yeah. Where, where, yeah, and of course this is you know the American awards. You know, whereas Meryl Streep is playing a British politician. Mm. Um, which might work against her as far as the American yeah, voters for, go. For all the reasons um, that the, the Tinker Tailor wasn't even nominated. Yeah. But um, I just think, I, I believe that there is a point system when it comes to the <laughs> Academy Awards. I believe that you get you can only get nominated so many times before they're like, 
Yeah, we've just got to give you an award for something. Meryl's won before, hadn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah but not but since not since Sophie's Choice in nineteen eighty-two, good twenty years ago, and she's been nominated constantly since then. Yeah. And this is a high profile. She should be nominated. She's been nominated for everything she's in. She's well, I think her name. Hats. I think yeah. her name is just like permanently etched onto the ballot papers, and they just scribble in whatever movie she's in that year to sort of make up for it's it. So but she should. My one criticism of Meryl would be her Australian accent. That's <laughs> like a New Zealand Australian accent. That's everyone's criticism of Meryl. I think Meryl's accumulated so many points now <laughs> that I think they're just, you know, especially given that she's also the highest profile actress. Uh, listed in this year's Best Actress nominations. I think I think she's actually got a very strong shot of winning, just based on all of that. Alright, so either Meryl or Viola, mm. they're our picks who are going to win. Let's see if we're right on the day. So most likely it'll go to Michelle Williams. <laughs> <laughs> it'll go to somebody completely different. For almost, that's, but that's interesting. For almost the same reason she could win, because, you know, she's playing an American icon. Yeah, um, true. A much beloved American icon, and yeah. But so then, would the would the Oscar go to her, or are they really giving it to Marilyn? <laughs> they give it to her. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, just, I mean, it's like I'll throw it out. They're giving it to their nostalgia think, of Marilyn. I don't think Michelle Williams is all that good. Mm. So I, I just don't think she deserves it. And mm. and Rooney does, you know, a good job mm. with what she has, but really she's basically just doing the same sort of thing that Naomi's done anyway. Mm. So. I talk about them with their first names as if I know them personally, because they're good friends of mine. <laughs> so moving on to Best Actor. Anyway, Best Actor, we have uh, Who We Want to Win. Once again, Richo and myself, and this time Crystal, have gone for Gary Oldman from the not-even-nominated Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah, well, we might talk a little bit later about the vast number of films that weren't nominated this year that should have been. Mm. In this category, I would have liked to have also talked a little bit about, say, Ryan Gosling for his performance in Drive. But Gary Oldman's performance in Tinker Taylor is just astonishing. Um, He does so much with facial expressions, with body language, with, you know, I mean, he doesn't even speak. He doesn't deliver a single line for about the first, what, 15 minutes, 20 minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. Yet, you learn so much about his character just by... Just these... from his eyes and those ridiculously huge glasses. Yeah, and, and, and the everything. way he carries himself in certain scenes. and It's it's such a beautifully understated performance. It's like a, an, a, a true actor's actor performance where just every part of what he does informs us of his character. Mm. Um, and... Um, yeah, i just completely stunned by how good a performance it is, and I really do hope, given that the film itself has been unjustly snubbed, I really do hope at least Gary Oldman wins for Best Actor. What I liked about his performance is that uh, he just became smiley. Mm. Uh, there are points where I just completely forgot it was Gary Oldman, whereas when watching someone like Tom Cruise in any single movie he's in, it's always, that's Tom Cruise. Yeah. Um, this was just smiley in this film, and mm. every now and then I thought, hey, that's... Gary Oldman. Yeah. Then I'd get sucked back into the character again. It's amazing. It's, it's, I mean, you're totally right. It's, just, it's. I mean, you forget that it's the same guy from the crazy cop from Leon the Professional. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you forget it's it's you know Gordon mm. from the Batman films. Mm. Lee Harvey Oswald from uh, James Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, I mean, it's just it's it's unbelievable. It's, it's or Sid Vicious. magnificent. And he does yeah. old man really well. Mm. Yeah. Well, he's getting old. Yeah, but it just <laughs> but it's yeah, well. it's he, he completely transforms himself in this role. Yeah. That's I think what we're saying. And There's no, I couldn't pick up on any any Gary Oldman characteristics. It was just the whole yeah. the character. Oh, totally with you. Yeah. Mm. And that's that's, that's that's his real strength as an actor. Um, yeah. He's 
one of the things that people say call him is um, chameleonic mm-hmm. um, because actually when he is a male Meryl Streep yeah but when, <laughs> um, he actually does try to make sure that you know things like his voice and the mannerisms even for when he's playing a two grade villain a big grade villain um, you know, he does try and give it a little bit of depth and try and make try and work out what the differences are to make that character specifically yeah. work. Zorg in The Fifth Element is different from Dr. Smith from Lost in Space, for instance, mm. who's, who are all different from um, the cop in Leon. Mm. Um, you know, he actually, and that, that's why he's highly praised. You know, he does actually, he does try and act. He doesn't bring himself. Always he goes, what's in the character that I need to bring, yeah. that I need to flesh out? So we'll stick with you, uh, um, Luke, because your pick for best actor was actually... Jean Dujardin. From The Artist. Almost for some of the same reasons that you were saying, talking about Gary Oldman. Um, you know, he, his performance does rely on facial expression, on body language. Mm. Um, but the difference is that, uh, and don't get me wrong, if Gary Oldman were to win it, I would not complain. He does it. He's mesmerising. Jean Dujardin has no dialogue except for one line at the end. Yeah. And so he's got to rely on facial expression, body language... Um, the only thing I say is that Gary Oldman doesn't speak for 20 minutes. He doesn't speak for an hour and a half, uh, two hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, to convey... And he's got to create a character from that. And he's got to do that whilst still being charming and not coming across as mugging. And mm. it's... Except when he well, is no, actually mugging. But that's... That's, that's the brilliance that's, of it. That's like, intentional yeah, because yeah. The, he, he mugs at the moment where... Um, they're doing, you know, the, the more silent era. Yeah, they're doing the, the, the silent film you know, where he has to mug. Where he has it? to mug. And that's all undercut by, you know, shots of him just sitting there in darkness, reflecting on... Just being himself. Just being it's... himself. In, but there's a nice shot of him where he's actually lost everything um, and he's got no hope and just a nice shot of him, of the camera panning across his face in shadow. And all he's got is a, is a dour, blank expression, but you get so much mm. from the character. In that in that one expression, it's a, a, a quite a memorable shot in, in quite a memorable film, and I think that's why he should win it because he does everything he can to create his character without going overboard or making it seem silly, um, without needing dialogue. Mm. It would have been so easy mm. for that character to fall into caricature, mm. for him to just you know mimic the the over the top acting and slightly mm. hammy acting style of the silent era. But the fact that he's able to give it depth and to mm. move beyond, you know, the very easy just mimicry and caricature style that he could have adapted. Um, and he's yeah, just got a magnificent smile. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And uh, unbelievably charismatic. He's a man. I'm a mm. sucker for a good smile. I also think they should have had a special category for the dog. <laughs> Best dog in film. You know, what, least in a, least at all like, edible in a... Best animal, best animal that actually does something for the imagine, food. At, you know, imagine all the Academy Awards that all the different lassies could have won if that <laughs> category had Best existed. Best animal actor. Hmm. <laughs> well, I agree with everything that Luke just said, um, and I'd also add that he really looked the part. I've hmm. just not seen him in anything else, so I can't compare him wow. um, he his was performance in, to he, any other performance. He's a French actor, and the, um, the other two films that I know of but I haven't seen are the... Secret Agent OSS 17, also done by the same director who did The Artist, mm. um, which are, you know, basically French um, James Bond spoofs, mm. um, which were... Which sounds pretty cool, actually. I think I might check it out. Um, yeah. grab it. Cult films, but yeah. this is probably his most high-profile. I certainly hadn't seen him in anything before this. Yeah, well, that's why I picked Gary Oldman, because mm. I compared to numerous other performances mm. I've seen of his, but this is the first time I've seen this guy. Mm. But he, is, he was... Exceptional. 
Yeah, and, and like you said before, is if you think if Gary Oldman wins, you're perfectly happy with it. Oh, I think Gary Oldman wins. If, if, yeah. if Jean wins, yeah. I'm. Well, yeah, they, yeah, they, they really are the two yeah. absolute standout performances. Yeah. That have been nominated. That's right. right. That have been nominated. <laughs> that have been nominated. Ryan, we are with you 100% here, Zan. No, we're not. <laughs> you should have been nominated at least. Terrible. Oh, well, what can you do? Um, so into will win. So who we think actually will win. And uh, it's a clean sweep. All four of us have picked uh, George Clooney for The Descendants. Because he's George Clooney. That's Basically. right. Basically. Because he's George Clooney. And he's um, a nice guy. Look, George Clooney is a good actor, yeah. and there are many films that I think he should have... There are actually many overlooked films I think he should have been um, at least nominated for, um, and perhaps even one. Um, the standout from a couple of years ago for me was a film called The American, hmm. which was very much overlooked, but a great performance. And it, even this year, um, he could have been nominated for a Best Supporting Actor role for The Ides of March, which hmm. is, I actually think, the superior film and the superior performance. Hmm. Um, but... Everybody just loves George Clooney. Mm. And yeah, understandably so. Mm. Good actor, seems like a really nice mm. guy, incredibly charismatic. Um, and he's. If he's like handsome. And very handsome as well. I accept all of that. Um, <laughs> and I just think, you know, that they're just going to give it to him just because of that. Yeah. You know, I actually don't think the performance is great. Mm. I think it's a good, solid performance in a good, solid film. Um, but but not certainly not the standout mm. that the performances we've already talked about. No, I don't think it's any better performance that he's done in anything else. Yeah, that's, uh, the, I, mm. yeah, I, I agree. But I just think he's just going to get it because he's George Clooney. Plus, yeah. also if we're going by the point system and the political system, that yeah, kind of, it's um, you know he won best supporting actor Academy Award for Surround a couple of years ago. So you know, generally he's been nominated now for best actor. It looks likely. Plus also... He's just not laying down some money. Hmm. You <laughs> could bet on the Academy Awards. Plus also, um, you know, he's playing uh, a character going through a midlife crisis just to deal with, you know, um, a wife in a coma and having to struggle with, you know, the revelation about their about his wife's affair and having to deal with his kids. Yeah, it's, it's very it's, much Oscar bait, that kind of performance. It's Oscar, it's Oscar Boiler, that sort of performance. And yeah. he does an okay job. He's not, unwatch, he's not unwatchable. He's, it's just that it's not a particularly interesting... Yeah, there's actually there's actually a couple of performances this year where I think actors have been nominated that should have been nominated just for the wrong performances. Because mm-hmm. I actually think, um, I mean, they nominated Brad Pitt for Moneyball, yes. whereas I think his performance in Tree of Life is actually mm, the better. infinitely superior yeah. performance. Um, and yet, this kind of middle of the road Moneyball performance that he puts in, which is perfectly serviceable, yet. Mm. He's that's the one he gets nominated. Very, very American, though. Yeah. Very, I mean, American. very American. Yeah, it's a baseball film. So I mean, it's it's it's, it's, yeah. it's what they do. They it's, they nominate for odd thing. I mean, they nominated uh, they they did Return of the King instead of Fellowship. Mm. No, they, only, they nominated only. all three. Or they all, they nominated all three. Yeah, but Return of the King wins it only because the it's, it's the end of the trilogy. Yeah, that was the just, end, and yeah. like he, he proved that he could do what he said. Yeah, he they were do. just waiting to make sure he didn't botch it. But Fellowship is a better film. It is. But a far better film. It's, you know, it's, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, I mean, it'd be, it'd be a podcast. The Oscars for that, though, really, I consider it for all three films, not yeah. just Yeah, well, that's, well that's, right. that's the point, I suppose. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I mean, it would be an entire podcast of its own if we talked about the many mistakes that the Academy Awards have made. We're looking at you, Shakespeare in love. Hurt Locker. Oh, just some... Dancing some with Wolves. Woeful decisions. And, mm. and just some, just some occurrences where you just, it's like, well, why is Baffling. he winning? Why is he winning for this when he should have won for... I mean, I'm yeah. talking about Martin Scorsese here. Mm. It's like, 
Yeah. Why, uh, well, once again, point, point system. Point system of political system. Raging Bull. Uh, point system. There were so many films he should have won for but didn't. Plus, that they had to give him one for something <laughs> and The Departed just happened to be the right Plus film also, right. you know, they work on lobby- lobbying. You know, one of yeah. the... So yes, yeah, so that was Best Actor. So yeah, who we want to win is uh, Gary or Jean. Hmm. And uh, who we think is going to win is George. So moving on to Best Director. To who we want to win. Once again, a clean sweep. Michelle has an ambitious... For the artist. Well, the artist is just so beautifully directed. It's different. The way it's shot is very creative. Um, and he gets the most out of his actors at the same time and has created something really quite different. Um, and, you know, in an era when often, you know, the best director seems to just be, you know, a by-the-numbers kind of directing, um, I just want the really creative directors, mm. the ones that are out there creating, doing something different and something, you know, stylish and interesting. I just want them to win. Mm. I, I want him to win because he has made a film that is completely unlike any film that was released this year or for the last, you know, you know, 50, 60 years. Mm. So I just, I, I want them to reward creativity of that level. Plus he also manages to tell his story through images. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, he, it's film, you know, you tell it through the pictures on the screen and he does that. Um, again, for the reason why we, I like Jean Dujardin, you know, he has no dialogue. He's got sound to fall back on, mm. and there's some nice use of sound in the film. But really, without his, um, without the shots that he, without the shots that he chooses, the film's nothing. But even even that use of sound, mm. um, I think, plays into him, you know, being worthy of best director. That mm. incredibly creative use of sound, yeah, especially that. Uh sequence mm. yeah and and that and that very slight uh sort of half second delay between the object making the noise mm. and the actual sound mm. in, in you know in the early sound film style i think all those all of those little touches and nuances and things just make him so worthy of winning this award mm. yeah totally with you. you think uh tinker taylor should have been nominated yes yes um i just want to i also just want to point out that uh when i say clean sweep it actually doesn't include Crystal, so it's basically just Richo, Luke, and myself. Crystal didn't have a nomination for Best Director for Want to Win or Will Win because... Because, I, unlike the other three, I never did media studies, film studies. So while I can appreciate the finished product, I can't actually comment on the techniques and methods a director uses to get there. So I don't feel qualified enough to judge Best Direction. So why don't you just judge on who you think is a nicer person? I don't know. George Clooney. <laughs> George Clooney should win, even though he didn't direct any of by that. By, by that logic, Kermit the Frog. <laughs> no, I respect that. I mean, if you, I mean, you, you mm. don't, you, you don't have an opinion. You don't have an opinion. That's cool. That's fine. Awesome. So yeah, so yeah, so just want to point that out. So it's just, it's. Uh, I'm on the fence. On the fence. <laughs> but you do have opinions for best film, though. So we'll get to that when we get when we do. So that so that was who we want to win. Uh, Michelle Hazanavicious. I apologise if I'm mispronouncing Michelle. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, so who do we think will win? So like I said, uh, Crystal and I included. Uh, Richo and myself have uh, chosen Michelle. But uh, Luke is kind of teetering on the fence between two directors. Um, whilst I want Hazanavicious to win, I think that um, given that you've got Spielberg and Scorsese nominated and... Um, Scorsese won the Golden Globe, if I remember correctly. Um, it, this could be a case of we need to make sure that we now, you know, state that Scorsese 
that for all of the films that Scorsese should have won for, um, we're now giving him enough awards to make sure that you know we can actually say yes, we hail him as the all-time greatest director. Um, yeah, no, just he's he's already won just a few years ago for The Departed, which made yeah. up for all of the uh, you know yeah. Taxi Driver, Goodfellow, Raging Bull problems of the past. No, but I'm saying um, that they might even go overboard and go, yeah, we really should give him one more because they gave one to Spielberg about five years for Saving Private Ryan, five years after Schindler's List. Yeah, but um, it shouldn't be for Hugo though. He shouldn't have won the Golden Globe. Hugo is boring. Yes, well, let's get to that. We've talked to Best Picture, shall we? Um, <laughs> And uh, also, there's almost almost the same reason for Spielberg. Um, you know, they might give it to him again yeah. because you know he's it, it, it's Spielberg. They've not he, they've nominated him for yet another war film. Mm. Um, and Seven Private Ryan didn't win Best Picture, so they might compensate that for giving it to him here, and maybe even giving it to War Horse for Best. Picture. So you think it's more the political side? I of think that's more the political side of things. Right. Yeah. The one thing that I think you're underestimating is the Weinstein's and their ability to get any <laughs> film and any director an Academy Award. And yeah, I, I think Michelle's got it. I think um, maybe I'm just being overly optimistic, but I think this year, you know, the the artist has been very well received. And whilst he's not an American director, mm. he is paying homage to you know American movies. Mm. And so I think the you know the the academy people can actually relate to that. So I think he will actually I think he'll pull it off. Mm. All right, we'll see how we go on the on the night. Okay, so moving on to the uh the big daddy, the big the big Maggie. <laughs> big Maggie is watching. <laughs> the, the, the big daddy category best film, the one they save to last because <laughs> Because <laughs> they know people are falling asleep by that point. <laughs> people want to know what the best film Busty is. The end. Busty. So best film, what, who who we want to win? Uh, and it's a clean sweep this time. It is a true clean sweep because Crystal did nominate one. The artist. I think we're pretty much covered in great Come detail. Us, there is, why is this cover. is a great movie? It is. And, it is. and um and to be honest, part of the problem here, there's nine films nominated. Of the nine films nominated, I'd say at least probably four or five of them shouldn't have been. Mm. And I could name probably a good four or five films that should have been nominated, including things like Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, Drive, The Guard. The Ides um, of March. The Ides of March, Whistleblower. All films that I think would have been worthy for contention. Mm. But, um, so whilst I, st- I mean, I probably still would have voted for the artist even if those films had been nominated. But in what I consider a pretty poor um, selection. selection this year because of these overlooked films mm. it just makes the artist stand out so much more yeah but then okay what does what why is the artist of the best that's you know you haven't you've, you've said that it stands out but why it does well, the basically for all the reasons that we've already stated in reference to acting and directing mm. um but also because it tells a really compelling story it does i mean it really held my attention and even as a silent film and i know a lot of people have yeah, would have difficulty watching silent films, especially these days. Mm. But as a silent film, it's still it really just held my, you know, really sort of captivated me for the entire mm. length of the film. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think uh, the artist is a perfect film, but it's definitely the best of the bunch, yeah. and uh, as close to being mm. perfect as you're going to get. Mm. It's uh, it's really good. I think it's sort of it's sort of it's some of the most creative of the bunch as well. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's just I mean, it's it's it's. Not only, I mean, it's entertaining, which is what mm. it's meant to be, but it's also intriguing. Mm. It's creative. I mean, it has a, a point to make, and mm. it it just 
it's just it's just a, a, a good time mm. and it's with many memorable scenes. You know, we right. talked about the dream scene. Very clever. Also, like the um, the the initial tap dance between uh, Jean Dujardin and Bernice Bourgeois, I think her name is. Yeah. Um, with the screen. With the screen. That's a nice. It's a nice little moment, and the and the film is full of them. I think my favorite scene is when John Goodman, John Goodman first sees her in the studio. Yeah. Mm. Ah, uh, John Goodman. Won't spoil it, but that's that's brilliant. John Goodman, one of our heroes, <laughs> and uh, and the dog, one of the few on-screen animal performances that, that is not enjoying. annoying. That actually, you know, does something to that that they get the dog to actually yeah. do things that actually help yeah. tell propel the, the plot forward. Right. It contributes to the story. Yeah. It's great. Given, I know you're a big fan of movies like Drive. Yeah. Um, would you still consider the artist had? These other films being nominated. It would have been a, think... it would have been a tough call. I, I, I mean, uh, Drive was my pick for twenty eleven. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, I, I mean, I didn't see artists until later. After I mean, I only just got released in Australia, mm. just fairly recently. So yeah, yeah. I, that's a good question. I don't know. I would have been yeah. torn. I would have had to have flipped a coin. So anyway, so uh, who we want? We want we want the artist to win. So oh, Academy, yes. if you're listening, the artist. Um, who we think will win. Uh, not quite, not quite a clean sweep on this one. Uh, Richo, Luke, and myself have all voted for the popular choice. <laughs> we think is going to win is the, the the Descendants. Well, it's so by the numbers. It's, it is. It is very by the numbers. It's like, it's, it's, it basically screams, "Give me a." Yeah, I mean, Hollywood actually, loves their midlife crisis movies, really. <laughs> probably not as much as Extremely Close. I mean that that basically has "I want an Oscar" written on its poster. Yeah. But, but uh, this just the sentence for sure. Yeah, it's just got that kind of you know, it's got the the indie cred. It's got the George Clooney mm. thing happening. It's uh, got points because the director didn't win for Sideways, which is essentially the same film again. Mm. I do um, like how it's always overcast. It's not yeah your typical sunny the, Hawaii. Yeah, there, there were some nice elements to it. I agree, and it wasn't necessarily what I'd call a bad film, but it was no. just a very much a by the numbers movie. But I just think everything about it says, you know. This is the stuff that Hollywood loves, and you know, so this is what's going to win best film. And like I said, we watched. I mean, we sat through, I mean, all the nominated films except for Extremely Close, obviously, and it was just it was very surprising to me to just how average everything was. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's, it's and the very same... rarely did you get over a three. Mm. I mean, I'm obviously yeah. the artist did. Um, um, I mean, I gave the Descendants three. Um, a bit, uh, the help. The help was, was higher. I mean, yeah. that was quite good. Yeah. But everything else is just very, yeah, very two point five three. Very, very of middle of the road, very sort of Ron of Howard road. style. Yeah, nothing mm. bad about them, but nothing that makes Until you jump Hugo, out and which go. Made me almost fall asleep. But, oh. uh, but it's yeah. nicely directed. So the only difference in our opinions was Crystal, who instead nominated The Help. Oh, I think it's going to win almost for the same reasons we spoke of earlier because it's a, it's a very American story. It's um, still very much in the hearts of all Americans, the civil rights movement. It's a feel-good story and, and it's and it actually it was well put together. Mm. And it is one of those films that the Americans can say, hey, we, know, we gave the best picture to a film about something that's important. Mm. Um, which they like. You to, is kind. Which, yeah. You is smart. <laughs> you is important. That's, and that's and that's just it. That's that statement there. Is, that's Oscar gold right there. Um, I, that's I, why the Hurt, like I think that. that's why the Hurt Locker won a couple of years ago because it meant that they could say, "Hey, a film about you know our involvement in Iraq." Gosh, it's look been, at how relevant we are. Yeah, you know, we're saying look, we're giving this award because it's an important film, dealing with an important issue, irrespective of the fact that it's as boring as all hell. It's a terrible, terrible film. Oh, hell, okay. Sorry, the help. I actually well, think the help, help is, is okay. Very help, good. Also, help is the help is actually engaging. I was talking about Hurt Locker, of course. Mm. Yeah, 
and help is actually engaging. Really, a lot, a lot to do with its performances. There are some mm. very funny moments in it. Um, I, for me, the, there's a bit of a too much of a day glow sensibility to the production. No, um, and there just needed it. to be, yeah. a, just for me, just a, a little bit more, more realism, grit, yeah. a bit more grit. I just, I, I just didn't quite understand that when the book came out. I mean, they make a big deal about mm. uh, when the political activist guy dies. Mm. Um, I can't remember his name. I, I apologize. Um, but then when the book comes out, so they're all really scared. It's like she runs home and all this sort of stuff. But then when the book comes out, why is the KKK not knocking on the door? Mm. Why is so why, looking, why does nothing through. happen? I thought that myself, but I was very pleased that it didn't happen. Oh, I'm glad there was. I didn't want anything bad to happen to these characters because mm. I loved them all. Yeah. It was, I mean, except for, except for Bryce, obviously, who you meant to hate. Mm. <laughs> but, yeah. um, Great performance, though. Oh, Brett. She's very, she's, she's, she's very, con- she's very, she's lovely. very, very convincing, convincing in that I wanted yeah. to smack her in the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Which is kind of strange because she's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, she, I mean, she's Gwen Stacy. Yeah, but, the, uh, the, you know, well, the original Gwen Stacy, but Emma Stone takes that. And if the help does win, yeah. at least I, I would say, you know, one of the better movies from this year's, mm. uh, yeah. from this year's nominations so actually won, you know, as opposed to, say, The Descendants or Moneyball. Um, or Warhorse, hmm. you know, which are very like I said, very middle, middle of the road, road. very average. Yeah. And my favourite yeah. line from the film: "Mini dog burn chicken." <laughs> Mini dog burn chicken. It's right up there with machete. Machete text. text. So they should change. Mini dog text. <laughs> so yeah, we, we talked about Viola Davis, but I really loved uh, hmm. TV Spencer as Mini as well. Hmm. As oh, the, just a, a, as we've said earlier, just yeah. so many really top-notch performances in the mm. film is what makes it stand out more than anything it's else. It's the best so. performance I've seen from Emma Stone. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And um, I think uh, Jessica Chastain is very good as, as well. Is mother? No, Jessica Chastain is the one that lives out on the outskirts of town because she's been shunned by all those because oh, she married yes, the guy. Yes, yes, she's Alison Jane. Oh, the yeah. serial yeah. tree of life yeah. girl. Yeah. yeah. Marilyn Monroe is basically who she's meant to be. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So, but who plays, who plays Emma Stone's mum? Alison Jane. Alison Jane. Yeah. She's Brown. awesome. Yeah, Sissy Spacek's quite good too. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of really good performances that make the film, really elevate the film and make it stand out. So, mm. there'd be no shame in that film winning. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm good I'd be happy with that. Yeah, I just don't think it's going to happen. I just think, I just think The Descendants is going to, it's just got that, Oscar right. hair about it. Quick summary. Best actress. Who we want to win, either Viola Davis or Meryl Streep. Who we think will win, Meryl Streep or Viola Davis. <laughs> <laughs> Best actor. Who we want to win, Gary Oldman or... Jean Dujardin. And who we think we will win, George Clooney, across the board. Best director. Who we want to win... Michelle Hazanavicius. And who we think will win... Michelle Hazanavicius. Or uh, Spielberg or Scorsese, just because they're just going to, you know, why not? And best film, who we want to win, The Artist, Come on, The Artist, pumping for you, and who we think we will win, uh, either The Descendants or The Help. So hopefully, if The Artist doesn't win, it is The Help, and not The Descendants. Mm. Yeah. Or not, not, that or... It's, not that it's terrible, Christ, yeah, but I just, yeah. Or Warhorse, because that could also be, uh, we didn't give it to a Warhorse was, un- was Spielberg at... At eleven for sentimentality. I mean, yeah. the, the sunsets. I mean, I seriously, at the end of that movie, I thought the horse itself was going to start crying. I felt like, <laughs> I, was like, I felt what like, is going on here. I felt like at the end of that film that someone was actually pouring syrup onto me. Um, I, mean, it's just, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's Spielberg, so obviously it's well done. Mm. And it's but it's just so over the top. Mm. That it's like, come on, people, seriously. I just, I mean, you can rank almost, sentimentality. It is. I mean, it's, I mean, it's. I mean, it's very beautifully done. It's Spielberg is a master director. There's no denying that. I the mean, sentimentality of his directing often gets very annoying. It's mm. very annoying. 
But oh well. Either that or we're just really bitter and cynical these days. <laughs> well, the horse kicked well, butt, that's though. That's true. <laughs> well, he gets, he gets, uh, yes, horse. horse should have been nominated for Best Animal Actor. No, just no. the Best Actor. My, my Beast Species. <laughs> that's right. And, no, the, and the dog, the dog for, for supporting. <laughs> I'm totally with you. Were there, any, were there any chimpanzees or orangutans this year that could have been nominated as well? Because uh, we need five. Clive missed, yeah. So just, uh, just before we finish up, I do want to mention Tree of Life. Yeah, Tree of Life was uh, nominated for Best Picture as well. And it's a very polarising film. Um, Crystal herself is actually polarised internally. <laughs> She's got two different scores for this film. I, just, I'm just, I, I find her argument for it very interesting. So I'm going to throw it over to, to Crystal and then we'll chuck in our Tree of Life mentions. Mm. It deserves a special mention this film because it's, it's very intriguing. The Tree of Life, because unlike... Well, when I said before that I didn't go to film school or media school like the rest of these guys did, I went to visual arts school. Mm. So for the Tree of Life, I can see it's, it's an impressionist film. So I'm comparing it to an impressionist painting in that it tells the story in broad strokes and you have to fill in the details in your own mind's eye. And to that end, it is actually brilliantly done. Now, I've heard people say it's pretentious, but I don't think it's pretentious at all. Pretentious, the, def- the definition of pretension is pretending to be something you're not and this I don't think this film pretends to be anything it's not it's set out to be an impressionist film and that's what you're presented with um it's beautifully shot and it's beautifully directed and it to coin a phrase it does what it has to do (laughs) as an impressionist film um for that reason I would give it four and a half but to my own personal tastes for movies like what I said before about 1984 I like to be drawn into a film maybe I'm a lazy film watcher but I I like to sit back and be absorbed in the film I I don't like to have to work too hard to figure out what's going on although I like to also like to feel clever in that I can figure out what's going on but with this film you had your mind's constantly working the whole way through to to tell yourself the story whereas I prefer if you're the storyteller tell me the story I don't want to have to tell myself the story so, um, yeah, as I said, it's very pretty, very well put together. The Big Bang sequence is probably my favourite just visually, but, you know, I could get the same out of a screensaver from the Hubble telescope. <laughs> um, so, to my own personal tastes, I give it two. Look, there's some good points you make there. and in, in Excellent me- points. And actually, I actually agree with you. Look, there's, um, I don't think the film is pretentious. If you want pretentious, check out Melancholia mm-hmm. <laughs> from uh, from last year's releases. Um, I think this film is incredibly ambitious. Very ambitious. Incredibly yeah, ambitious. Think... And, and that's I respect Terence Malick as a director because his films usually are. He's he's trying to achieve something important. Um, serious he's, <laughs> he's not set out to say, oh, I'm going to win an Oscar with this film. He's set yeah. out to say, I'm going to make an impressionist, yeah. arty film, and that's yeah. what he's done. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I thought it's not a film that you can give quick responses to. Yeah, it's exactly. one right. that really requires a lot of thought and... It's an interesting it's, film. It's, it's, yeah. So the reason I wanted to bring it up is just because, I mean, because I, I just really love Crystal's viewpoint on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, all I can say is I, 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 I recommend that you see it. I mean, just like 1984, I just think it's just one of those things that it should be seen and experienced. It's not even even if you hate it, I didn't think it was a waste of my time. You know, yeah. what I mean? so yeah. even though by the end of it, I was like, I was angry. I was, I mean, I was actually angry that I watched this film, but not in a 
oh my god, I've just sat through Piranha 3D, sort of angry. It was just... <laughs> or Melancholia. Yeah, well, I haven't seen Melancholia, but it was just... It was just because it was, it stirred up. It, 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 it did what it had to do. It did what it was meant to do, which was stir up emotions and mm. make you mm. question, and and that's what it did. I mean, it, it made me angry, and and uh, I recommend seeing it for anybody just so they can experience the same sort of thing. Okay, so that's our Academy Awards eighty uh, fourth Academy Awards roundtable. Um, check out the actual ceremony itself on the twenty sixth, and uh, see if we got it right, got it wrong. If we were completely off, who knows? We'll, we'll see this for ourselves, and then we'll actually do a follow-up on it in our next episode. And send in your opinions. Send in your opinions. Exactly right. Who do you think should win? Who do you think is actually going to win? Feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. Coming up next. Coming soon. Okay, coming soon, where we talk about the films that are being released in Australian cinemas during the period to the next podcast, uh, including films that we couldn't review <laughs> because they came out too late. Uh, that being, of course, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, which comes out on February 23. Uh, February 23 also sees the release of Killer Elite, which is already on DVD overseas and has been for some time. Man, we suck. Terrible. And most of it filmed in Australia. What's up with that? And also Coriolanus. The directing debut of Ralph or Rafe Fiennes. <laughs> I hope the way he pronounces it. Uh, then the next Thursday, sees a heap of heaps of releases. So there's actually like it's like ten films coming out. It's ridiculous. Uh, some of those include The Sitter, uh, which looks pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, skip it. Yeah, uh, Carnage, Like Crazy, Project X, which is being billed as the next, you know, American Pie sort of party movie, um, and. Yeah, I'll be skipping that one. Are there any and, good films being released in this batch? And uh, The Devil Inside. Devil Inside. Devil Inside. Break it into a bit of an excess. Um, and as usual, NCP's favourite cinema, The Asta, also has uh, a huge selection of films during that period because they, they're, they're open every day, but it's pretty much. Um, they have the two Grindhouse films back to back on the 22nd. And on the 24th, I have an 80s double, The Breakfast Club and Back to the Future Part 3. Okay, so before we finish up, I just want to throw out a couple of shout-outs. Uh, one to Michael, uh, a, a guy I met on World of Warcraft just recently. He is from Victoria, and uh, he was a lot of fun. We were in a group together that was full of uh, not very nice people, and uh, we had a bit of fun uh, together. It was good. Uh, he, he was the healer of the group. Um, but when I uh, I uh, told him about the podcast and stuff, he um, was kind enough to jump on and check it out and actually send in an email with you know, feedback and stuff and how he's going to check it out. So, awesome. So, this one's to you, Michael. Hope you're listening. Um, I also want to give a shout-out, a, a massive shout-out to uh, All-Star Comics. Um, they were kind enough to put our uh, business cards and pamphlets and stuff on there on their counter and they've you know uh, also talked us up to customers and stuff and also I mean every time I go in there they always ask how the podcast is going and how the crew is and you know just life in general and just they're, they're a great bunch of guys um, I buy all my comics from there and uh, I just highly recommend that you check them out it's just it was really appreciated the effort they went to uh, putting us on their Facebook page and stuff like that and uh, they're very supportive so uh Here's to the, all, the, all the guys at All Star Comics. Uh, they are at uh, level one four ten Lonsdale Street, Melbourne, Victoria. So, if you're looking to buy any uh, comic related merchandise, you know, uh, action figures, you know, that sort of stuff, 
as well, of course, comics. Great guys, great selection. Go there and uh, put a standing order there. Uh, if you're in Melbourne... Um, I'd also like to do a shout out to our Melbourne-based friend Melthoid, who, when he found out that I was doing the Doctor Who reviews, uh, the Who reviews on the website, actually provided me with a good hundred issues of Doctor Who magazine from the 80s and early 90s, which has proven to be unbelievably valuable in my research for each of the uh, reviews that I do. So, And he's just let me... They're just mine. They're sitting on my bookcase right now. So he's provided me with that invaluable tool. And, uh, a legend. Yeah, I very, very much appreciate that. It's really added something special to those reviews. So thank you very much, Melthoid. Thank you, dude. Very cool. Don't forget you can contact us uh, by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or you can post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com slash nerdculturepodcast or tweet us at, at nerdculturecast. Or you can even leave a comment on any of our posts, including the triumphant return of Dust Jacket. Woohoo! Dust Jacket reviewing The Demolished Man. That's right, the first for 2012. Uh, and it's a great review too. Very, very informative. Why, um, at uh, www.nerdculturepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe, people. It's the best way to get the podcast. Um, or you can just listen to it on the website, website itself. But hey, iTunes. They're cool. Uh, in our next episode, we're actually going to have a round table on um, uh, Big Ass 2. It's an Australian comic launch that's happening um, fairly soon. Our uh, fan of the show and good friend of the show, Jason Franks, will be attending as well as uh, another... And special guest star. That's right. So there's a bunch of uh, other Aussie artists and creators. I think it's like 15 or so people. There are 15 books being launched. So that'll be uh, on March 3rd from 2 o'clock at uh, it's a restaurant, Sentido Funth, which is at 243 Gertrude Street, Fitzroy. So uh, myself and Richo from the crew will be there. Uh, unfortunately, Luke and Crystal can't make it because they're slaves to the man and uh, need to work. We're bringing the system down from the inside. So, uh, yeah, so like I said, Jason Franks and a bunch of other creators will be there. So uh, if you can't attend, then uh, that's all right. Listen to the podcast because we're going to cover it. And we'll also have our follow-up to the uh, Academy Awards special that we just did to see uh, how accurate we were. We could have been completely off. But let's face it, we're pretty good. Mm. We're, we're probably right. Well, I'm thinking right now. In fact, I'm going to make the statement right now. We're going to be 100% correct. And now I've made myself look like an idiot when we're proven to be 100% wrong. <laughs> I don't think we'll be 100% wrong. But, you know, you know, we'll see how it goes. All right, so thanks for joining us, everybody, out there in uh, radio land or podcast land. What do you call it nowadays? What is it? The, Audio land? The, the interwebs? The interwebs? The intertubes? Cyberspace. Cyberspace. You, you, mean, you mean people are actually listening to this? <laughs> I thought it was just us sitting around having a chat. No, no, I've got a recorder What's here. What's this no, microphone I, I gonna be... doing here? Hang on, you never said anything about this. And I'm filming it too. Dun, dun, Put your back on. Mina, mina. <laughs> Thanks to the crew, Richo. Waka, waka, waka. Luke. Mina, mina. Why do you sound so upset when you did that just then? It should He's... be a joyful sound. His mina, oh. mina is right. just not what it used to be. And Crystal. I'd like to thank the Academy, <laughs> my parents you, for creating me. And myself. You is kind. <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 do. Oh, we're crazy people.
you a lucky. Oh, that's beautiful. Being rich, I was watching. <laughs> Just let you know, guys. Cameras in the bedroom. <laughs>